if I can create a process and hold you accountable to what I want that process to be and create a habit against it, you no longer have to think about the process, which means you're just doing exactly the way I need it done to get the result I need to have it. Mm-hmm. If I can do that with every process in hospitality, right, in my restaurant, mm-hmm. at my front desk, at my valet, and everything that is process-driven is now habit for that team member, they no longer have to think about how to do their job right, which means they only are able to focus on one thing and one thing only, the guest. They no longer have to think about the process. Now they can just focus on engaging you because they just do the job without even thinking about it. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Leadership Podcast. My name is Ron Huntley, and I will be your host today. Today's conversation is going to be a fun one. You know, a lot of the people that are leading parishes, your pews are filled with people who are in business, grinding it out in the business world, whether they're owners or employees, trying to live their life to their fullest, to be great family members, great friends, and great business people. And it's such an important part of of the life that we're called to as Christians. Now, I love talking to business people because oftentimes they're risk takers. You know, in the church world, you're either a risk taker, a caretaker, or an undertaker. And I think some, some, some spiritual entrepreneurial spirit would go a long way for where we are in the church right now and where we're being called to go. So I'm so excited to talk with Chris Adams today. Chris Adams is a CEO of an international luxury hospitality consulting firm called Alice Adams Group. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Your story is a fun story. You did not start as the CEO of this consulting group. Tell tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your story, about your humble beginnings. Yeah, you know, I, well, I thought no one starts a CEO, right? I, I think even, even if you give yourself the title, you didn't actually start there. Uh, something got you to that point. And uh, yeah. for me, it was definitely a, a journey. Um, and it was, it was something that, you know, I don't think you ever, when you, when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, you have dreams of what you think you're going to do in life. And then Mm -hmm. now where I'm at, I look back and I go, my God, I never thought in a million years, this is what I'd be doing. And Mm -hmm. for me growing up, you know, I grew up in a, in a home that was very musical family. Um, I grew up in the entertainment industry, um, record deal, the whole nine yards. Right. And, um, I randomly, got got pushed into a summer part-time job to uh, mm-hmm. keep me out of trouble not not that I not that I was in trouble but just to ensure that trouble didn't yeah. find me mm-hmm. <laughs> and um I I got pushed into a job for Ritz Carlton hotels and um mm-hmm. it was a supposed to be a part-time summer gig um as a pool attendant and for anyone mm-hmm. that knows what that is or doesn't know what that is it's probably the best job in the world you hang out outside all day and, you know, set up towels for people. And, you know, it's phenomenal. And, um, I fell in love with it. I figured out um, very quickly, um, exactly what I believe my purpose was, um, and why I was put here. And I went from a part-time pool attendant, um, in an industry I'd never worked in before, Mm. worked my way up the ladder extremely quick. Um, and you know, one thing led to another to get us to this point of launching this, this company that we have. And now years later, it's, it's global, um, has grown exponentially, um, have largest hospitality group in the world is our, is our biggest client. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And it's amazing how every day we continue to grow and continue to thrive. And, um, again, would have never thought in, in a million years that it would have uh, this would have happened, but I, I couldn't be more grateful and excited about where where I'm at. But I think more importantly, where we're going. That's so cool. And so, what a what a shift, eh? And and I think people listening can can relate to that. Some of us that at some point our life takes a shift, like our, our paradigm changes, and, and we see something that we didn't see before. And so when you were experiencing that part-time job, what was it that you experienced and where was it that you that felt home? Like, tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I was sitting. So when you do, when you start working in a, a brand like Ritz Carlton, you do orientation and culture training and all this stuff. And this was for a brand new hotel that was being built. And so it's basically a two week countdown of immersing you in the, the ethos of what who Ritz Carlton is as a brand. Um, it, it's them really trying to convince you to drink the Kool Aid, right? And I was sitting in there. Um, really, it was on day two uh, of this process, and I'm sitting in this massive ballroom with hundreds of other, uh, you know, brand new employees. Mm-hmm. And um, gentleman got up on stage and started talking, and he was talking about um, he was talking about Ritz Carlton. He was talking about the hospitality industry, what it meant, um, a little bit about his story of how he got there. And in that moment, it, it's very weird because I can look back now and. I don't know why, but I knew at that moment I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I, I, I don't know if there was a keyword. Um, I don't know if there was something that he just said. But when I tell you, it was like there, it's one of those weird moments where the the other 500 people in the room disappeared. And it was just me and him. And I felt like he was, you know, just speaking directly to me. And it was wow. that moment, whether you call it your calling or whatever, um, that I said, this is uh, – this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't know what that meant. I had no clue what the hospitality industry was. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't know, am I going to be a pool boy until I'm 65? Is this what I'm doing? <laughs> um, but I knew that I was sitting in a chair at that moment mm-hmm. um, at the exact time I was supposed to be there to hear those words. And I think it's a combination of where I was at in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you know, everything happens for a reason. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, it's tough to see that when you're going through stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the old saying? It's hard to see past, be, past the force beyond the trees or whatever that is. And I think when you're going through it, you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? Am I going to get through this? How do I get to tomorrow? It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And then one day you wake up and look back and go, you know what? I'm good. Like, I, I, I learned something. I, I made it through that. And I think for me, it was this, it was that moment, the culmination of things that that's exactly where I needed to be uh, to, mm. to push me in the direction where I was supposed to be going. Oh, that's so cool. I think too, as a speaker, like, like kudos to that speaker that whatever he was talking, however he was talking, he was obviously connecting and he connected with you to give you that sense that, you know, everybody else disappeared and you were zoned in and and whatever he was saying, it was connecting, it, it, it landed. And I, I think about the opportunity any speaker has to do that. Uh, you know, anytime. That's our goal, right? But more on yeah. stage is to be able to have that type of emotional connection with your, with your audience. And yeah. it's crazy because he actually um, became a mentor of mine. And to this day, uh, we we still talk and and he's still somebody that I look to as as um, guidance in a lot of areas. So That's it's been awesome. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he impacted your entire life, and that is yeah. so beautiful. And I, I think you know for those people that are listening that maybe do get the podium from time to time because you're a pastor or church leader or what have you, make that your aim. Like, don't just get up there and and, and speak just just good factual information. Like, connect transform, uh, make that your goal. And so it sounds like that happened for you. And so I, I just want to get back to something that you mentioned, because I think it was really cool. It's like, I didn't realize that that period of time, because it was a new hotel, all of you were going through this training, this orientation, this, uh, you know, they're dipping you into the culture of, of what they wanted people to experience when they came to their hotel and, and branding matters, doesn't it? Like, tell me a little bit about, because you have multiple clients, you have some big brands that that your consulting firm works with. What's your understanding of branding? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. It's a big focus of our company. Um, I mean, one of the, the major highlights of why would they bring us in is to help them understand what their branding is and how to storytell. I think more than anything else right now, people are looking for how do we tell our story, but how do we do it in a way that connects with a consumer? Um, and I think whether you're talking about a, a church or you're talking about a product, mm-hmm. your ability to connect with those that are coming into your your building, it matters. Um, and so when we go in and look at storytelling for us, it's a sensory experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a luck- we focus a lot of our attention and the, the term luxury lifestyle is attached to our brand constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big misconception when people think that they go, oh, luxury. So Chris only works with his team only works with, you know, expensive stuff, right? right. He, he only works with brands that are, you know, cost a lot of money. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we differ from the perception of what people believe luxury is. And for us, luxury has nothing to do with the dollar sign. It has nothing to do with the economics. Um, it has everything to do with one word and one word only. And luxury is nothing more than a feeling. When you can create a feeling, then you win, right? When you can create an emotional connection with a consumer, a guest, whatever it might be, then everything else falls by the wayside. So to be able to do that and how that attaches to storytelling, it's a sensory experience, right? So my, my dad was a psychologist. So for me, when I built this brand, it was driven on a lot of research and data he had compiled from me. I'm a, I'm a data junkie. And <laughs> I confess. <laughs> um, data, data helps me make good decisions uh, yes. for our company. Yeah. Um, but it also was understanding neurological mapping, behavioral patterns of consumers and guests. And so for us, when you look at a sensory experience, that's where the storytelling really comes into play that says when on the arrival experience, um, what does it look and feel like? What was the drive in? Um, you know, all those things are affecting the human brain. The human brain's firing. It makes you feel emotions. Our, our behavior is dictated on our emotions, right? We make choices and decisions based on the emotional effect that something's having on us. So if I can control your emotions, I can essentially then manage and, and kind of control your behavior. I can control your spending habits, right? So as you come into um, any one of our clients' locations, whether it is a luxury brand of what people would assume luxury is, like Rich Carlton St. Regis, or if you're walking to something that most say, well, that's not a luxury brand. And let's say it's what we call a select service hotel, right? A, a Fairfield Inn, a, a courtyard. That Most people mm-hmm. wouldn't say that's a luxury brand. Right. But you can still deliver a luxury experience. Mm-hmm. And if I can deliver a luxury experience, I can create a feeling for that consumer. And that if I can create a feeling for that consumer, I can create a consumer for life. Mm-hmm. Right. If I can walk in and and the arrival experience is something that makes me feel something. If the minute the doors open, the aroma that hits you triggers something in the brain and makes you mm-hmm. feel something. If the, the first person that you come in contact with makes immediate eye contact and smiles and welcomes you. And then 30 minutes later, they pass you in the hall and they remember your name and they say, Mr. Huntley, it's so great to see you. How's your day going mm-hmm. so far? Those create feelings and emotions. When that happens, you can write a check for whatever you want from the consumer. And that doesn't have to happen at a brand that's only selling high-end shoes or, or luxury hotel rooms. That can happen at, at, at any, any location, any product, anything you're trying to do. If you can create that emotional connection and create that feeling for the consumer, mm-hmm. um, you will win every time. That's awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Backtrack a little bit, and I, I want to differ. I want you to help me differentiate between a couple of things because I don't know if you ever watched that uh, show. My kids made me watch it called Social Dilemma on Netflix. You know, it uh, talks about social yes. media and how addictive it is. And and in that show, it showed the people that actually created those algorithms are at Congress begging them to uh, to govern, put some. Uh, some of the stuff that's coming out because they say it's we've made because of the research we've made it so addictive that even the people that made it are addicted to the product they made and so or well, on they just had data come out to yeah. to really quick that says over 90 percent of decision making by human beings right now is done by social influence we no longer make decisions based on what we actually believe Ni- over 90 percent of our decision making is is driven on social influence so you couldn't; they couldn't be more correct um, in what they're saying. Wow! And so here's so I'm going to ask you an ethical question because uh, one of the things that that they're recognizing is this thing is out of con- that thing is out of control. And so it'll be interesting to see as humans what we do with that. Um, but you know, what's the difference between manipulation and whatever the opposite of that would be? I guess good intent. Cause that's important, isn't it? Like, cause I, I, you know, I remember in the pharmaceutical, you know, was it the pharmaceutical industry? Maybe not, but sometimes they talk about money, money, money. And I think money isn't my ultimate driver. Um, I know for some people it is, but for a lot of people it isn't. And so, so that luxury brand, that experience, I love all that stuff. And so much of it is relevant to, to churches or or anything else for that matter <laughs> you know the gym that you go to the grocery store that you go to like i love what you're saying cuz it's so relevant and at the same time where's that um 
Mm, how would I say that? Look, I'll I'll, I'll say it. Do you like know what this. I'm saying? Like, yeah, go ahead. I do. Yeah. The ultimate goal in anyone's life mm. is to be happy. True. Mm. Like, yes, whether, we whether all want there, to be happy. Yes. Right there, whether there's a financial yeah. attachment to that or not, your goal is to be happy in life. Mm-hmm. And our goal, when I say create a feeling, you can create the opposite of happy. And that's not a good feeling, right? And that'll also drive – that'll drive your behavior. That'll drive your decision-making. That'll drive how you spend your dollars. Absolutely. So money money is nothing more than a byproduct of something that is being delivered. It could be mm. a product, a service, whatever it is. Money is simply a byproduct of something that's being delivered. That's a good that's point. It. It's a it's a as marker of, of appreciation, of gratitude, of of, of – yeah. Yeah. Love it. That's, That's it. a good point. Okay. I love that. I love that. Okay, cool. And so be intentional. So what it sounds like what you guys help these brands do is wh- what do you stand for? What are you trying to deliver? Be intentional, bring alignment to everything you're doing and watch what happens. People will come back. Loyalty will be there. The financial rewards of being intentional and, and aligning with who you say you are, are, are obvious. If you, if you attach this to a t- hotel, Yep. If you come in for the first time and I make you feel happiness, I make you feel like, my God, this is my home away from home. When I yep. come back to this city, I only want to stay at this hotel. They just, this is it. This is it's my so spot, true. right? I made you feel that, right? Well, if I can do that true. times a thousand other guests, then that means that my hotel runs at a 90 plus percent occupancy at all times because mm-hmm. those guests want to continue to come back to feel mm-hmm. the way we make them feel. How mm-hmm. that works in business says the higher my occupancy is over a longer period of time means that yeah. I can adjust what they call my ADR, my average daily rate. Right. I used to only be able to charge $99, but now mm. that everyone wants to come back and be here all the time because how I make them feel, mm. my rate can now go to $149 a night because right. there's a bigger demand for my product for that. And people are happy to creating. pay. Because right. we are. And, and the crazy part is there's data now that says post-pandemic, our consumer doesn't care about money. Our consumer can care less about money right now. As long mm. as the experience is equivalent to the price point, they'll pay anything. The problem mm. is, is when we want to overcharge and deliver a lesser experience, mm. right? When, when, when you go anywhere, when you, when you pay more for the chicken dish, the chicken's the chicken. You pay more because of the experience attached to the chicken going to a restaurant that's lesser experience driven versus one that's a fine dining restaurant where they know your name and they're catering to you. Yeah. The dish is the dish. You're paying for the experience attached to it. Mm. Yeah. If it was a very, you know, if it was all facts and figures, you just buy the rotisserie chicken at the grocery store and go home and eat it with, with your hands. Right. And look, I'll, I'll translate it even easier. Yeah, uh, it's typically around beverage, right? right. A beverage. Okay. So, uh, mm. let, let's take a a beer or a cocktail that you're going to get from somewhere. The mm. product that goes in that glass is the same at the local dive bar that smells funky. That they, they, there's a guy sleeping outside as it does the Ritz Carlton lobby bar. It right. is the exact same juice, and you're paying the exact same price for the bottle. Mm. Why is it okay to pay five dollars here and twenty five dollars there? It's the same product. It's mm-hmm. the experience attached to the product that you're paying for. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And so that's neat. So your your the your your organization is able to work with these brands and help them think about, be more intentional about who they are, what their experience they're delivering, and make sure there's alignment and a culture to back up. And that must not be easy. Let me ask you this, Chris, because you know I know the whole world is facing. A labor shortage. Like, what's that doing to the hospitality industry and that people's ability to provide that experience? It's tough. It's brutal. Um, you know, hospitality industry has been crushed from a, on the labor side, just just like many other industries. Let me not take yeah. um, away from every what everyone else is having to face right now. True. The slight difference is the fact that the hospitality is driven on people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as much a product as much as it is. You know, you check into a hotel or you go to a restaurant. There's a bunch of people that have to be there to deliver that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when you don't have those people, it's tough to create an experience. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you look, when you start looking at all these, the factors that come into us, our guests are, are saying they want a greater experience now than they had pre-pandemic because their dollar has more value now than it had pre-pandemic, okay? okay. They'll pay it. They just want the experience to, to attach to that value of their dollar. Mm-hmm. But cost of goods has gone up significantly, right? I mean, I can go through a list of, of what uh, chicken cost pre-pandemic to now, a box of this, a box of that. Mm. It's astronomical how much prices got up, which means now the cost to get those products um, to the consumer has gone up. Mm. So though I used to pay $18 for this dish. Now I'm paying $26 for that same dish post-pandemic simply because the cost of goods to create it has right. gone up. Yes. On the flip side, I have less people to deliver the experience attached to the mm. product that I'm delivering to you. So you're paying more and getting a lesser experience. It's it's a you know it's a ratio and a, a formula for disaster. So <clears throat> yes, it's been a massive challenge. I think one of the things that um, and not just hospitality industry. I think in general, when you look at right. organizations, yeah, I think that. You used a word when you started this question. You used the word culture, mm. and that is a it's a big thing for us at our company, but in in how we teach and how we um, engage our clients because mm. companies do a very 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 good job of creating culture, right? Mm. If you right now decided that you wanted to launch a company, you had a vision for something that you wanted to do, you mm. would sit down with a piece of paper, or your laptop, and you type up what is the vision for your company? What are you wanting to create? And you probably come up with what's the three pillars that you're going to believe and what's the motto of your company, right? It, you're going to do that one afternoon, the vision for what your new company is going to be. Organizations sure. do a phenomenal job of creating culture. Mm-hmm. Where we are failing and why people are struggling to come back to our companies or leaving our companies and organizations is because we're great at creating culture. We struggle with cultivating culture. Are you still the company eight months later that you sold me on at the interview process when you told me what your motto was? Do you actually live it every single day? A year later, am I looking at you, CEO, or my senior vice president and go, yep, that's them. Everything they told me, this is who we are as a brand. I believe in it even more now because I'm Mm. able to live it out with them than when they sold me on, on day one. Unfortunately, we sell them on the dream of what we are as a brand. And then we put them into real life scenarios and situations, which Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with culture because we're simply trying to get through the day of being busy, getting through, we're we're task driven. And we have a, you know, we have a culture of people right now going through the pandemic that it's changed their hearts. It's changed their minds. Mm -hmm. What they believe is important to them is different now than it was pre pandemic. And they now go, I want somebody that actually cares about me. I want somebody that actually believes in something bigger than looking at a P&L and a spreadsheet. Again, mm-hmm. money is a byproduct. Your P&L will work itself out if you do the little things on the backside to actually push those dollars into the right areas, teaching you how to manage your business as a good mm-hmm. steward. You've got to have culture in your company. You've got to give some people something to believe in beyond just getting through the, a, a day of work. Mm-hmm. Boy, Chris, I just want to take a side road here for a second because everything you're saying is I, I look at it through the lens of what I do in terms of coaching churches and, and, and dioceses, and I think to myself, there's nothing that you're sharing that isn't applicable. It, it's just so helpful in terms of, I'm saying, I just see people just so busy executing. They're just so busy trying to do church that they don't have time to be intentional and think through these pieces. Uh, the culture is what they inherit, or, or they're almost victims to their culture. They're not leading culture. Uh, they, I think, I don't even think that's crossed for a lot of people. It hasn't even crossed their mind. Uh, they're they're doing church as kind of the primary purpose, and it's like, well, <laughs> if you're doing church and not intentional about culture, culture will eat your church up for breakfast, and good people will leave. You know, you talk about these sensory experiences and and the smells and the smiles and the remembering names and all those things that hotels and anybody that's stayed in a hotel knows some of them are better than others. And if you compare any of those hotels to the average Catholic church, we fall miserably short of 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 providing an amazing experience. And then we wonder why people don't come back because all we focus on is the truth. And it's like, well, the truth matters. 
but so does all these other soft pieces that can make a place somewhere you want to go back over and over and over again. And uh, anyway, so I just hope people are hearing that because again, all these pieces that you're talking about are just so exciting and so important. And the work that your dad did yeah. in terms of psychology and, and how people's minds work and stuff, it's just all to ignore that stuff as a leader in anything we do is a tragedy because you know we're dealing with human beings and, and the stuff you're talking about is 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 consistent across industries yeah and there the one thing i will say to anybody that's potentially listening when you have a, a business and we have been fortunate that in the midst of the pandemic mm. um, and coming out of it uh, we grew in the mm. pandemic we didn't lay anyone off we didn't cut anyone's salaries. We gave raises. We gave bonuses. We hired. We expanded. Mm. The one thing wow. I think that's important to realize is when you talk about our brand and what we do, and I talk about creating a feeling and, and um, going out for our clients and helping them create those emotions for the guests, never forget that you have external and internal customers. My external customer is what my brand does. We go out and we help them create a feeling for their guests. If I am not creating that feeling for my team, for my internal mm -hmm. customer, then how can I expect them to go deliver this message to our clients? Right. If you don't know what that feels like, I, I use the term all the time. If I'm not internally feeling, filling my team's cup up, mm -hmm. then they can't go pour it out to others. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? If they're constantly exhausted, if they're unhappy, if they are if there's no culture attached to who we are as a brand and they aren't excited about what we do internally, then how in the world do I think that they're going to show up to a client that's paying us crazy mm -hmm. money to help them understand how to create the culture at their, at their organization? So if you don't do it first internally, it'll never happen externally. That is so good. That is so good. It's uh, there's a scripture that I'm thinking of. Like the inside of the cup needs to be the same as the outside of the cup. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, just ripping them, just saying, "Hey, you know, you just care about the outside of the cup and and all the trappings and of religion, but the inside of the cup is is rotten to the core." You know, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, like you're just calling them to have integrity, make sure what you, the, you know, and I, if I use your language, the external culture, the internal culture, the external customer, the internal customer, it's like, it needs to be the same. Has to be. I mean, what you say, say what you mean, right? It, it can't be one of those where I, I come on these, these shows like this and, and preach this. And then my team listens and goes, man, that'd be nice if it actually was like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You're fooling I, everybody. Chris, but it's like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We pride ourselves that um, our team will stand behind what we say that Maybe. for me, I'm willing to, I, I believe I live by good things happen to good people. Yeah. And I, I am willing to, I'm willing to lose money mm -hmm. if it's still the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. and, and my team will tell you <clears throat> countless times where, hey, Chris, this happened. What do you want to do? We can actually just do this, and it, it won't be a loss for us and whatever. And like, what's the right thing to do? Well, the right thing is we need to do this, but it's going to cost us. Then do that. Yeah. I, I believe wholeheartedly that doing the right thing, even when it costs you money, will pay exponentially in the long run of what you're trying to build as a brand, the organization, uh, the character of your company, my mm. team, my internal team now understands the character of our organization, not just me. Mm. They understand what we believe and, and they know that I will support them to the nth degree. Mm. Um, one of the things that we talk about at our organization is we push our team to fail. And that sounds crazy, but we push them to fail. <laughs> but fail forward. Mm -hmm. It's okay to fail, make mistakes. I will support you in making those mistakes as long as we're making mistakes because we're pushing the envelope to do the right thing mm -hmm. for our client. If we're doing that, then it's okay. Our wins right. will always outweigh our losses. Mm. What a beautiful culture. That is so cool. And I bet you that provides a lot of freedom for innovation and, and, and like, I, like that type of culture is the very culture that allows people to grow into the people that they could be, but fear oh. and perfectionism. And Oh boy, that's, 
that makes you small because you you can't be big in a culture that's the opposite of what you're building. Oh, Ryan, it's the, it's the definition of leadership, in my opinion. Um, it it is my job as a leader of my organ my organization to pull out of my team what they didn't know they were capable of. Mm-hmm. It's my job to identify in them um, things inside them that they didn't realize were there. It's my job to expose them to experiences that they never thought they'd be exposed to. It's my job to put them in positions um, that they never thought they were capable of. That's my job as the leader. It's my job to clear the path to allow them to be great. That's it. Any 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 leader that that's worth their weight in gold will tell you, I'm not the smart one. Let me tell you what makes me smart. I hire great people, <laughs> and then I get out of their way. Yeah. Right. Give them a roadmap. Give them a vision. Give them inspire them. Excite them. Give them freedom to do what they do, and let them go. Oh. It doesn't mean that they won't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It means that that's the moment that you sit down and you talk and you mentor, and you learn. And they go, mm-hmm. Oh my God, now it makes total sense. Watch this. Right. Those are those moments. If you really want to grow your company, I mean, look, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. I don't know many people, true entrepreneurs that start a company and go, my goal is to stay exactly where I'm at for the rest of the time that I own this company. Everyone wants to grow and find more success and all these things. Well, to do that, you must do something different Mm -hmm. to get a different result. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're going to find yourself in a very monotonous plateau um for your company allow your team to try things and that's tough man as as humans we struggle with change like most Mm -hmm. most people don't like change we're creatures of habit and so you have to force yourself to be okay with it being different it's okay that we're doing it different than we did two years ago or three years ago as long as we're changing in a in a upward trajectory then we're winning Amen. And I think that's what, what you're saying too, Chris, is it's a mindset. It's not necessarily attached to age. I think we're all going to have to have, in, in a season of change, you're going to have to have things that are consistent. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, like maybe it's your morning routine, your fitness, like whatever it is, you're going to have some things that are consistent while things are changing. So you need, you, you're going to need to be anchored in some things, which is so important. And sometimes I find, particularly in the church, that the elderly people, they just get they, they like there's a wrong perception it's like oh you're old and you don't want to change it's like that's not true there's just as many young people that don't want to change and are change avoidant and, and afraid to take risks and stuff and i i've met you know people that are up there in their 70s and 80s that are really excited about what's next and and how we can evolve to have a bigger impact and and have growth and and, and reach the next generation and i'm thinking good on you and and so working yeah. with teams and people, there's an attitude that, that transcends age, uh, and it's cultivating that attitude of openness, of of risk taking, of of I don't know, like like how how do how do you guys what are like, how do you guys do that with the clients you work with? Um, you know, I, I think with any client, results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the, yes. the, with any client at the end of the day of organization, get results. If you get right. results, then they'll do anything you want. And so that's a big thing for us is how do we take the information we're talking about, put it into something that's trackable? Yes. What's your scoreboard? You know, this yes. goes back to, you know, really Covey, Stephen Covey and, and mm-hmm. his, um, his four disciplines of execution. Oh, um, right. Yes. Um, yep. Love that. Right. Where you yeah. let's, what are we focused on? What's the law of diminishing returns? Let's keep it mm-hmm. as three to five things max. Let's focus on those things. Those mm-hmm. are the biggest things that make the biggest impact. Let's track it. Let's have a scoreboard against it. And then once we can show results, those become habit. We move on to the mm-hmm. next thing. Right. So for us, very similarly, my dad established for us, how do you get results in an organization, especially in a world of hospitality? Okay. Right. Yeah. Hospitality is very process driven. So in our world, we were, it's a three-step approach, which says step one, you must have it. If you don't have it written down process, you don't have a process at all. You mm-hmm. tell him your process means nothing. Do you have a written process in our world? It's an SOP. It's a standard operating procedure, right? Okay. You have a written process for everything that you want to happen in this, um, in in your organization or in the process, right? So uh, somebody shows up to your restaurant, they need to be greeted by a host, okay? 
What is the process? What does that greeting look like? How do they escort the guests to the table? What does bread service look like? All of those are individual written processes um, mm -hmm. of what of how you want it to be executed. That's step one. The toughest part of this that to, to find results is step two, which is accountability. Mm -hmm. Accountability against the process. Most people don't like accountability because they don't like confrontation, right? That's the biggest challenge. They don't like that tough conversation. Mm. Accountability against the process is the most important part. Once you have accountability against the process, it will lead you to step three, which says we can create habits. Once mm. I can create habits against the process, you can get the result you're ultimately looking for, right? So when you think about it from the standpoint of um, – I create a process. You're new to this position. The process says every day when you come in, I need you to, to pick up this cup and, and place it exactly here on this table. For mm -hmm. whatever reason, that is going, that's what we need to happen in this process. Mm -hmm. Well, when you come in, you're going to come in in the first couple of days, you're new to it. You put it right there. But then day five, day six, other stuff's going on. You're running a few minutes late. The cup just kind of gets put wherever. Mm -hmm. This is where accountability comes in. If I can tell you every day when you come in, when you put that cup down, hey, hey, really quick, where's the cup go? Oh, man, my bad. And you put it there. If I do that long enough, there comes a point where you no longer have to tell them because that just becomes mm. habit and that's where you drop it. Mm. Think about your house. More than likely for most people, if you've lived somewhere long enough, when you walk in your front door, your keys go to the same spot, you put your shoes in the same spot, you drop your purse in the same spot, it, we become habitual in our in our behavior if i can create a process and hold you accountable to what i want that process to be and create a habit against it you no longer have to think about the process which means you're just doing exactly the way i need it done to get the result i need to have it mm -hmm. if i can do that with every process in hospitality right in my restaurant mm -hmm. at my front desk at my valet and everything that is process driven is now habit for that team member they no longer have to think about how to do their job right, which means they only are able to focus on one thing and one thing only, the guest. They no longer have to think about the process. Now they can just focus on engaging you because they just do the job without even thinking about it. That's the key to getting consistent results over and over versus, man, when I came in yesterday, it was awesome, but today it was, it was a little off. Well, because whoever you dealt with on day two doesn't have a habit of creating that experience for you. It's mm -hmm. a hit or miss on how they're feeling that day, what's going on in their life, are they busy in that moment, versus I can pick up my phone at this point and text without even looking at it because it's become habit on where things are. And if you can create those habits with anything you want in your life, then you can get the result you're looking for oh. without having to think about the process. I just want to breathe that in because that's really – there's a lot of things you're blowing my mind right now. It's just so good. I think to myself, so and again, I'm thinking about it through the lens of what I do and what I help people to do. It's like, instead of like whatever your ministry is, don't think about it as like for the setting the table. Let's use that example. Don't think about setting your job is to set the table. No, your job is to create an experience when somebody sits down. So don't, but if, if all you look at is the task of throwing the, you know, putting the glass on, make sure there's a placement. So that's like anything will do. But what, but if you look at it as an experience, and so if you're in a ministry, no matter what the ministry is, own the experience, not just think about getting the task done or getting the schedule filled so that somebody reads. No, what experience do you want at every level of your ministry? Think about the experience and then put processes around that create accountability around that so that you get habits so that you can deliver with excellence over and over and over again. Oh man, that's good stuff. <laughs> so yeah. Fun. And dude, I, I will tell you the accountability, accountability is always the toughest part, right? right. And, but the thing that you have to remember with accountability and when leaders start to understand this, mm -hmm. it completely changes the way they lead. And those conversations become very different. Okay. When you create a culture where your team believes in what you're doing, they trust you. They trust the conversation because they know where your heart is, okay? There's a phenomenal book by Kim Scott called Radical Candor. I highly suggest it to anyone that is in leadership in any form or fashion. Radical Candor says that I have the ability to speak truth, but speak truth in love. 
but because you trust me so much that I can have the tough conversations with you because you know what my intentions are for you. Right. I'm not just coming after you because I'm trying to pick on you. I'm trying to, I don't like you. Instead, I care about you so much that I refuse to allow you to fail. If you have children, if you have people that are in your life that you care about, and those kids do something unknowingly because they're young, they're potentially immature, and they're doing something that you know is going to hurt their future, as a parent or a mentor or a guardian, you have no issue going to them and stopping them from doing it, regardless of you knowing the outcome of you doing that. They're going to slam right. the door. They're going to they're yell at you. You don't know what you're talking about. You're old, all these things. I'm okay with taking that on because I care so much about their future that I'm not going to allow them to get on that path. The right. minute that we have team members in our organization that are doing things that we are watching them do that are wrong, that is inhibiting their future. We know that, you know what, if they keep doing that, they're not going to get a promotion. They're going to get fired, all these things. And mm-hmm. we don't step in to help them. We're basically telling them, I don't care about you. I don't care about your future. I don't care about you. what's going to happen next because I'm not willing to have that conversation with you. And I haven't built a culture around this that you trust me enough that when I do have that conversation, you know where my heart is. Mm. that's where we fail is that we don't have the conversations because our teams don't trust us because we haven't built a culture to allow that for them to believe that we're doing it because we love them and we care about where they're going and the trajectory of their path. So it sounds like, and, and, and yeah, this is so good that it's people first and that, 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 it, it, it's a culture based on always, care always, always, about always, other people's always. best interest, about making other people great. And if you mean that and you say that, you're going to need the courage to have difficult conversations from time to time because you have to back up what you say with with uh, even even when it's tricky. Yep. Always, always people. In my world. I can't speak for everyone. Mine but for too. Us, I know. <laughs> I know that. Um our yeah. people, our team, that's what makes us great. And we focus on our people. Yeah. So here's something for you. This is fun. Um, there are task-oriented people and people-oriented people, right? Your task are people. That's one of the things you're, you're, you ask or tell your task are people. And that's just a really simple way of dividing the categories of driver, expressive, amiable, and driver. And so if you're a leader, that is just naturally more task-oriented it doesn't mean that you can't put people first, does it? It just means you might no, have to, like, to how, honest, what would you I say to them? Yeah. For me, it's the other way around. Um, yeah. I think that as a leader, I am people first. Yeah. And I, I ensure that I'm organized and I put people around me that, that make sure the tasks are getting done. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you just, you, you flip the script that says, no, I'm, I'm always people first. And mm-hmm. I make sure that the, you know, it, let's be organized and be smart about how we run our business. Let's put yes. people in positions to to make them successful. And I think that's probably a, a, in the hotel hospitality world. Mm-hmm. There's a challenge there where, you know, so-and-so was great in this position. Let's put them over here now. Well, let's make sure we're casting people in the right movie. Right? I think there's plenty of actors and actresses you've seen that they're great in one movie and you see another like, man, they were horrible in that. It doesn't mean they're a bad actor or actress. We just they weren't <laughs> cast in the right role. Right. So making sure that we identify with our team, what are they great at and let them be great where they can flourish, be careful. Mm-hmm. And we struggle with this internally on our side sure. because we have to constantly look at, I think for me, I want everyone to win. Yes. I want everyone to get the promotion. I want everyone to this and that. And so I have to make sure that with our senior leaders that we're constantly stepping back and saying, let's look at our team. And are we making sure that we are putting them in positions that will allow them to succeed based on what their skill set is, what their passion is, and where they can be great? Let's not take let's not take individual A and immediately put them over here because they were good here, so let's make them great over there. Right? Are they a good fit for that? Because if they're not, what's going to happen is we're going to get frustrated. They're not going to they're not going to be happy because they're going to feel the frustration. They're not going to be good at this. They're not be successful. So I'm taking somebody that was highly productive in one position Mm. and I'm forcing them into a role 
that they will not be productive, which means that their career will get stunted. Mm-hmm. Their frustration will grow. They're un- they will become unhappy because we tried to put them and cast them into a movie that wasn't a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Like it happens. You see that in organizations of all stripes, businesses, where the person was successful right up until they got to a certain space, and then it was like, "Whoa, that was a that was a mistake." Yeah. And it's unfortunate because we live in a world that's structured that says if I don't go from position A to B, I can't make more money. I can't do more things. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that that has to be that way. Mm -hmm. If you're a rock star in position A, why can't you continue to grow in position A and continue to make more money and get to where you want to be in that role? Why why do we force that says, well, you have to leave here to go there if you want to make more money? And it just, Mm -hmm. that makes no sense to me. If you look at it in the sports world, if you perform playing shortstop, you're going to get rewarded for that. No one says, well, if you really want the bigger contract, you need to move over to the to pitcher or center field. Right. It says, if you're great, then continue to reward, to reward the great that they are mm-hmm. um, versus trying to, to force them into positions that it might not be a good fit for you or them, which means mm-hmm. now I'm, I have to go back and fill two roles, the position they were great at yeah. and the position that we got them out of because they weren't great when we put them into it. So true. When you, um, you know, one of the things, and I, I know this is true in my life, like some of the best lessons I've learned, have been learned the hard way. Um, they've been through my mistakes. They've been through struggles or hard times or seasons of suffering. And, and I know a lot of business owners, um, that's the same principles lie true for them. Uh, is that your experience? Like if there've been seasons in your life, that was a real grind and you look back and go, man, as hard as that was, I probably needed to go through it. And here's what I learned. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's impossible to talk about success if you've never failed. Like mm-hmm. You don't know what true success is unless you've gone through some form of failure. Anyone that tells you otherwise, uh, in my opinion, I'm always very leery. What's in your What's in your closet you're not telling us about <laughs> um, to try and put on this mask of everything's always been perfect for you? Yeah. Um, you have to go through stuff. That's how you learn. That's how you figure it out. That's where mm-hmm. you make the mistakes to it builds character in you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at myself personally and professionally and I go, man, I screwed up here. Uh, you know, I'm, that was a horrible mistake. That is, mm-hmm. that's not who I am as a person yet. That's what I was. Um, and I, I think to get to a point of the right people in your life, surrounding yourself with the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, that can get you where you're supposed to be. And and hopefully um, a level of maturity, which many times comes with age, it, it did for me, of uh, the ability to look back and identify and really go, man, I see, I recognize, how do I, how do I adjust my behavior? How mm-hmm. do I change the way I think? How do I change my mental state? How do I change um, my outlook, my perspective, all those things? Mm-hmm. You have to go through stuff. It's part of the process. It's part of everyone wants to, to, to have you on the podcast or whatever to talk about your life now. Chris, tell us about all the beautiful hotels you get to go to and the flights and all these things. That's great. That's the fun part. Let's talk about the process and the journey it took to get here. Let's talk about yeah. the failures, the, the loss, the financial difficulties. Mm. The I mean, I can go down the, the list of things that were mm. um, I failed at, I struggled at mm. to get to the place that you now want, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a very interesting thing because we live in a world that says everybody's on your side and wants you to win until you win, right? We, we live in a society that everybody is, man, go after your dreams. Just keep fighting. We want every, you should, I want you to find success until you find success and then they want to tear you down. Then it's, no, wait a second. You found too much success. We need to, we don't like you anymore, You're right? You're look bad. Hence, well, they, Right. They talk about leadership. It's lonely at the top. You know, you look and it's very true. You, you mm-hmm. learn very quickly those that actually do care about you, those that you can actually kind of open up to and be yourself with, who you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. who's who's trying to leverage you for something else. Um, and and mm-hmm. this is the so it's a that path and that journey are all things that need to happen to create the foundation so when you do reach that that point, when you do become the CEO, when your company does get big enough 
that you actually are standing on a foundation that's strong enough that you're not going to tumble over the first time mm -hmm. something happens, the first time you're put in a situation that you don't know what to do. If you don't have a foundation, I mean, I think you could talk to that having a strong foundation for, you know, for days in mm -hmm. anything in life, whether it's spiritually or in business, um, you're going to struggle with a long-term result if you're not sitting on a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where too, Chris, I'm sure that the, having those mentors and the people in your life that you turn to that speak into you, like having those prophets in your life, whose opinions you value and who you've given permission to speak into you, even when you might not want to hear what they have to say, like no man is an island and, and to be able to have the humility to seek the help, uh, have the mentors and give people permission is such a important part of sustainable fruitfulness or su sustainable success because the world's changing fast and, it, and no matter if you're in industry and yeah. church life whatever the the culture continues to shift and change the rules are changing all the time the rules of engagement are changing all the time and so to be able to be fluid in how we see ourselves as leaders be willing to grow and evolve receive feedback input you're not going to be great without it yeah it's a necessity for sure Hmm. Wow, that's so fun. Well, Chris, it's been a treat to have you on the show. It doesn't take much imagination to apply so many of the things that we've talked about today to to our primary audience. And, and it's predominantly church leaders, but a lot of those church leaders are in businesses just like yours and 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 their employees, their business owners. And, and a lot of the things that you've spoke of today is going to apply to just as much to business as they do to ministry. Uh, I can't sure. thank you enough for the work you're doing. You know, when I was uh, stepping back from Divine Renovation a couple of years ago, I had every intention to go back into industry. And, and uh, people said, well, you can't do that. Like, you've been doing such such amazing work in, in ministry. And I thought, well, God doesn't care what I do for a living. He cares that I live my life for Him. And I can live my life for Him just as much in industry as I can in ministry. I don't see a difference between the two. It's can I be faithful to God and generous to others no matter where I'm at? And so I just want to thank you for the work you're doing, the attitude you bring, the culture you create to make people great, to focus on people and give them the opportunities to thrive and, and have a life that, that they dreamed of. Uh, we need CEOs like you out there uh, continuing to, to make the world a better place. So thank you for what you do. No, man, thanks so much for having me. And, you know, I think regardless of, of the role that you play, um, whether you're within a church or an organization, um, what impact can you have on people, period? I don't care what, what your title is, what the position is, or what the organization is, what impact can you have on others? And mm -hmm. I think if you can always answer that question to know that you're, you are doing your part to have an effect and an impact on other people's lives and their future, um, then you're going you're gonna to be down a good path um, of where you're supposed to be. Amen. Amen. And you'll sleep well at night and you'll look back and you'll have left a legacy. Chris, thanks again. And thank you to all you listeners and viewers that have been listening and watching. If you're on YouTube, I just encourage you to hit the thumbs up if you would. Subscribe. We'd love to have you subscribe. We also have newsletters. You can sign up at ronhuntley.com and stay in the loop. Uh, the book that Chris mentioned today, we'll make sure that gets in the show notes. And, and, uh, and, and again, continue to lead well, continue to be intentional and to make the world a better place. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you again next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.